This is Truth Encounter, and as Dave Wurtson begins our study today, he shares a very important lesson Dr. Julius Irving of NBA fame shared with a bunch of young aspiring basketball players at Word of Life. Let's join Dave and discover how sometimes fantasies can become anesthetics that cause us to sleep away the real opportunities life has in store for us. Dr. J. Irving, the doctor that used to play with the 76ers, came to Word of Life, Word of Life camp, and took about 600 of these kids at a basketball camp. He gathered all those guys together and those girls, and they're all motivated to play basketball. And Dr. J. looked at them and he told them, don't live to play basketball. You see, don't go to school and just play basketball. Don't go to school and just play athletics because it's a fantasy. And then he went through the statistics about how many kids would play high school basketball. It was a pretty good percentage of these kids. Then he broke it down into how many of the ghetto kids that were living to play basketball would make it in college, and the percentage went way down. Then he broke it down to how many kids would play in the NBA. And that was an unbelievably small percentage. And then he talked about the fact that the average NBA player only played for two years in the NBA. And some of the kids raised their hand and said, what about you, you know, why do you play basketball? And he said this, I played basketball, one, because I enjoyed it, and two, because the Lord God in heaven gave me a one in several million gift to be able to play basketball. And he also went on to say, I played basketball, but I also got my degree from Temple University. An earned degree. He has an honorary doctorate, but he earned his degree, his college degree. And what it's bringing out is just these ideas. Don't chase fantasies. It doesn't say don't dream. Tanya Crevier was four foot eleven about and dreamed about playing basketball. But she didn't just talk. She was very short and she started to learn to spin a basketball. You see, what she discovered when she was a kid is that she was really excited about spinning basketballs. And so she learned how to do it. And she worked on it hour after hour after hour. And it might sound like a crazy thing, but she worked her available resources. She was short, but she could ball handle. And she used that, that skill to dribble, to spin that ball. And now she can do about eight different, you know, maybe 12 at a time, spinning at once. The incredible thing is that God's used her all over the world to reach out to people, teenagers, college students, and she shares her testimony. So what I'm telling you, and if Tanya were here, she would say, dream, but you got to be willing to put the action into your dreams, the hours of practice. And what I would like to add to that is you might find out the first time you try to spin a basketball, maybe the hundredth time you try to spin the basketball, that you're not gifted to do that. You can't do it. And yet, it can be just a fantasy because you don't have the ability. So there's a balance. Some people will tell you, just go for your dreams. You know, giftedness really has very little to do with it. If you just work hard, you'll be able to fulfill it. That's not the case. I believe that every one of you in God's family can do what God wants you to do. And only you can do that. But it would be fantasy for me to resign from the church 
go out to the Cowboys training camp next spring and decide I'm going to be a punter. You see, that would be a stupid fantasy. And my family could be hurt. And I wouldn't be in the groove of doing what the Lord wanted me to do with my abilities. It would be a wild fantasy. And the sluggard is like that. The sluggard's always going to resign from their job. They're always going to get that next opportunity. They're going to be a big star. But they're chasing fantasy. There's never the discipline, get up in the morning, go and do it. The question that we all need to ask ourselves is, okay, i got a dream. How am I going to get from point A to point B? That's when you start to get off the dime. If I want that, what's it going to take to get it done? It's like Pat Riggins says, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. The sluggard never eats the elephant. The sluggard just keeps dreaming about elephants, wishing about elephants, and who wants to eat an elephant anyway? All right, chapter 13. Let's look at this guy doesn't have any calluses on his hands either. Turn to chapter 13, verse 4. The sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. This proverb is underscoring the idea that we've just been developing. There's nothing wrong with the desires of the sluggard. What's wrong is that he doesn't put the action into it. So his desires end up killing him. Turn to chapter 21, verse 25. The sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. He loves to dream, he chases fantasies, and he has tons of desire but no calluses. He loves to excuse himself. And I love the excuses of the sluggard. Chapter 22, verse 13. The sluggard says, this is why he can't go for a job interview. This is why he can't go away to college. This is why he can't go into uh, North Dallas, wherever it might be. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside, or I will be murdered in the streets. In other words, the sluggard hears in the news, there's a lion that escaped from the Marsalis Zoo. So he's sitting in the cafe at lunch. He's supposed to have a job interview at 3 o'clock. He says, ours, I can't go in. Man, I might get eaten by a lion. I mean, that's absurd. What are the chances, what are the chances that you're going to be eaten by a lion? It's just a lame brain, stupid excuse. Or you watch the news at night. The sluggard listens to the news and decides everybody's getting murdered. It's a fantasy idea that you're going to be wiped out. There's parts of Dallas. If you're at the wrong time, at the wrong place, it'd be dangerous. And yet a lot of you go to Dallas every day. New York City is just like Dallas. If you're at the wrong place at the wrong time, it's dangerous. Ordinarily, it's like anywhere else in life. The lazy fellow is paralyzed by fear. And I think all of us need to think deeply about what fear is doing in our lives. The wise man is saying, as a child of God, don't be paralyzed by fear. It hurts me very much to see some of my brothers and sisters afraid to try things, afraid to go places, afraid to do things because you're afraid. And sometimes it's not at all really because you're lazy, but the sluggard uses his fear as an excuse, and in reality, they're absurd fears. There's not a lion outside that's going to eat you. The chances of you getting murdered aren't really that great. You see, if you're going to live your life based upon fear, it's going to paralyze you in inactivity. So this fellow just loves to excuse himself. Look at chapter 26, verses 13 and 14. The sluggard says there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming in the street. As a door turns on its hinges, so the sluggard turns on his bed 
The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. The slugger is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. And here we're bringing together all these things that the slugger loves. He loves to sleep. He loves to talk. He loves to dream. He loves to excuse himself. Now, what's going to happen to this guy because of his laziness? First of all, he's totally undependable. If you depend upon this fellow, chapter 10, verse 26 says that it will bring pain to the sender. If you rely upon this lazy fellow to send a message, to accomplish a task, it's going to bring you pain. It's going to be like vinegar on your teeth and like smoke in your eyes. It's all painful. Because he's going to get so tired out, he's going to become so wishy-washy about it, he'll forget what he was supposed to do, and he ends up taking a nap instead of carrying out what you want him to do. Chapter 15, verse 19 says that the lazy man's hedge, his pathway will be covered with a hedge of thorns. What it's saying is that as you walk through life, if you're lazy, you're going to be blocked. I want to really challenge you. The Lord has ordained life. If you let the high school years go by, you come to time to graduate. If you've been lazy in high school, your path is blocked. What happens? You goofed off. You don't have the grades. Your options are cut down. It happens. That's the way life is. Life is very serious. You goof off in high school. I know that a lot of the kids goof off. But as a believer, as a child of God, God has given you a precious gift called life. Now, not all of you are going to be gifted academically, but try. Try. Because if you're lazy, if you sleep when you're supposed to be awake, when you're partying when you're supposed to be working, then what's going to happen is there's going to be some crucial turning points in life and your pathway will be blocked. There will be thorns there. You can't get through. It's very important to realize that. We can take life so easily and we forget how easily our path can be blocked with thorns. The third product of laziness is that you'll be enslaved in poverty. Now, I want to challenge every one of you as individuals. As Americans, we pride ourselves in independence. I want to talk to you about independence. If you want to be independent, you've got to get up in the morning. You want to be independent. For example, you want to have your own business? You want to have your own business? One of the things that's going to kill you in starting your own business is not getting up in the morning. You just you can't get up. In fact, what happens is you see, because all of us have a degree of laziness, we have to punch clocks. We have to have superintendents over us. You see, that's all because it's very hard for us to be self-starter. And what I want to challenge every one of you, if you want to move up, if you want to have the chance to get in those higher positions, then you're going to have to be someone that you'll be there at 8. If you're supposed to be there at 8, You'll be there at 8, whether you had to punch a clock or not. And you're never there at 8.05. Never. When there's a job to do, you're there, ready to go. And no one has to be over you. And as you're working during the day, you're not looking around to see where the overseer is. Because you go for it. You're working for the Lord. You're doing your job for the Lord. You committed to the Lord. You don't need somebody watching over you. And I challenge you, because I've seen it in this group. I've seen some of you, when I first knew you, you were way down the totem pole in your companies. Some of you got saved through the ministry of the Scripture, through the proclamation of the Gospel. And some of you started coming home at night. In other words, there wasn't stopping off after work 
and boozing it down a little bit. You came straight home. You enjoyed your family. You did some studying the Word. You started really building relationships with your wife. You also were able to get up on time because you didn't have a hangover from the night before. So you're at work, even early, some of you. And your bosses started recognizing this guy is stable. He's together. He works hard. I don't have to worry about an alcohol problem or a drug problem or an immorality problem. I really see, I don't buy what he says about Jesus Christ, but man, it's doing something in his or her life. And the Lord started moving you right up. It's because of this principle. The diligent person is going to rule. If you're diligent, eventually you'll have influence over others. If you're lazy, someone else is going to rule over you. And all these Proverbs talk about it. Let's change gears and talk positively about the cure for laziness. You say, okay, Dave, I got it. In fact, I knew that when I started out this morning, so did I. I know it's bad to love sleep. I know it's bad just to talk. I know it's bad not to cultivate my available resources. What do I do about it? First of all, I think we need to really believe, teach and believe what we've talked about. Mom and Dad, don't let those years go by before they're 18. You know what I've talked about today is really complicated, isn't it? You've got to go to Dallas Theological Seminary get a doctor's degree. How many of you would know what I've been telling you today before you even came here? You all know it. It's written right on your souls. You know that these are the bedrock of life. We all know it. That's the way the Proverbs are. It's just common sense. The tragedy is that we don't pass it on to the next generation. We throw up our hand in exasperation. You say, how do I teach this? Talk to your kids about it. And start demonstrating it in your home. You know, your little three-year-old will still want you to feed him. And some of you moms are so hung up on your kid, you're building your whole life on your kid. Your whole meaning of your life is for you to serve that kid. So you don't have the strength in yourself to say, feed yourself. You're big enough. Go ahead, dress yourself. Feed yourself. You see, you're making a cripple out of someone when you do for them what they can do for themselves. But we do that. All of us do that because we want to be needed. And so the kid grows up. Man, I can't do this. I need mom to feed me. I need mom to clothe me. I need mom to do everything. Dads can do the same thing. Don't do that. Start teaching from the time they're small. They don't eat, you say. Fine. Let them go hungry a little bit. And don't cave in and give them a Twinkie halfway through the afternoon. You get hungry, you eat. It's the way life works. They won't work. They won't make their bed. You lie, you mom. Stop your hand in exasperation. They never clean their room. They never make their bed. I just yell at them constantly. Don't yell. Just say sorry. There's no supper tonight. No supper tonight. Oh yeah, there's no supper tonight. You didn't fulfill your obligation. I'm not going to fulfill mine either. You go hungry. You get your bed made. Maybe we'll have supper tomorrow night. The behaviorists call that the law of consequence. There's a lot of biblical truth in that. You see, that's the way life is. That's exactly the way life works out. And I'm not talking about doing it vindictively, but I'm talking about order and self-control in a home. Don't be yelling and screaming and beating your hands and, and ready to leave the house. If you've got someone in your home that's out of control, get them under control. And by the way, I'm going to say that goes all the way up. If your son and daughter are in college and they're living under your house, then they're still under your authority, Dad. 
Don't let them just do their own thing. If they want to do their own thing, say fine. Pack their bag, say goodbye. And that's very, very hard. But you can't tolerate a constant disorder. It tears us apart inside. And you're building. The tragedy is you'll end up doing the thing for the one that you love that you don't want to do. You see, if you start out when they're small, some of these principles, you work, there's prosperity. You're diligent, you're rewarded. Now, life doesn't always work like that, but Proverbs is saying that a large proportion of life does. There does need to be grace. In fact, the overarching theme needs to be grace, but grace includes some of these basic down-to-earth principles. If we start them when they're little, when they get bigger than us, they'll have those lessons embedded in them. Teach and believe that laziness is enslaving. Trust in the Lord and believe He will honor our efforts. Chapter 16, verse 3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. The Lord is on your side. You see, that's how we can overcome fear. It's worth it to try. The Lord's promise is that if we commit our activities to the Lord, He's going to enable us to succeed. Sometimes not in the way that we would expect, but He will enable us to succeed. Chapter 16, verse 9 tells us, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. I want to challenge you. A lot of you believe so strongly in the sovereignty of God that we use it as an excuse for laziness. We use it as an excuse for mediocrity. Proverbs is saying no. Proverbs is saying that you'll make plans. The previous proverb told us that we needed to commit our plan to the Lord. That's part of the sovereign plan of God for us. The reality is, yes, God directs the watercourses wherever He wants to do it. But His sovereign will includes this very practical, down-to-earth, get-upness, get the job done, get the plans, get off your duff and work. The Scripture is very clear on that. That's why you'll have God's sovereignty right next to human responsibility. And we have it here again. Trust in the Lord. Believe in Him. Life is worth living, and then go for it. Be self-disciplined and rely upon the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 tells us that self-discipline is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Turn to chapter 25, verse 28, and it tells us that we need that. It says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. If you don't have self-control, we'll end up being controlled by others. Diligently plan and follow through. Diligently plan and follow through. And we've looked at these verses previously. The sluggard plans but never follows through. Has all kinds of dreams but never brings into fulfillment. I really challenge you. Write down in a sheet of paper. This is what I'd like to accomplish. And then don't stop there. Say in order to accomplish this goal, I need to do one, two, three, and four. Very important. And then finally, work your available resources. Chapter 6, we'll close with chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. How many of you had trouble with red ants on your property? The red ants are taken over, and it's going to tell us why. Go to the ant, you sluggard. If you're lazy, go out and look at the red ants, okay? Consider their ways and be wise. It has no commander, overseer, or ruler. It's not saying that they don't have social structure. In fact, the ants have queens, they have females, that are the workers, and then they have the males that do very little, okay? But they don't have commanders, rulers, and overseers. And as you look carefully at the anthill, and you find me an ant with a whip, 
This sounds like a very simple thing, but some scholars will say, see, the Bible is not accurate scientifically. It always cracks me up. Critical scholars have hardly ever read very carefully. It doesn't say the ants don't have social structure. It uses three Hebrew words that mean overseer, governors, kings. It's people who have control over others, and ants don't need to be controlled by other ants. The workers, and by the way, it uses a feminine form here, which is very accurate, because in ants, it's the females that do all the work. Maybe we should go to the wise and be, and be wise. Go to the ants and be wise. So it's very accurate. It's saying that these worker ants are diligent and they're self-disciplined. That's what it wants to pick up. Obviously, it's instinct, but it needs to be under the control of the Spirit for us. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your slumber? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. Work your available resources. Because laziness is creeping upon us like an armed robber. And what will happen is you'll wake up and realize that your path is blocked, your opportunities are very limited, and your laziness has robbed you, and now you're under the control of somebody else doing what they want you to do, doing their hours, totally lacking in self-control on your own. Just to throw this in the end into a New Testament context, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Something that makes us lazy is the idea, well, who cares about life? And I can feel that way. In fact, if you face a death, it turns all of everyday life into the blocks. And that's why I love 1 Corinthians 15, 58, because it's right at the end of the section that we read at a graveside, and it reminds us about the coming of the Lord, but it tells us you need to work because in the Lord, when you're related to Him, your labor is not in vain. And Father, we're thankful that the Holy Spirit in our life can help us to overcome our laziness. What we share from the Holy Scriptures is not truth divorced from everyday reality. Father, we've laughed a lot together, and the sluggard is a humorous figure, but he's a tragic figure as well. We laugh, but as we look at this sluggard, we also cry because of missed opportunities, because of wasted abilities, because of the loss of material possessions, because of failure. We're so thankful that we pray to Yourself and that You're the Lord that, that delights in putting Humpty Dumpty back together again, that a lazy person could hear what we've shared today and could ask for forgiveness and through the power of Your Spirit become a disciplined, skillful person. We pray that all of us would be gracious with one another, that we would not pridefully work with one another, but instead that we would be stimulating one another to be diligent, to realize that life is worthwhile, to have a reason to get up in the morning. And my prayer is that you would have used this exposure of the sluggard to just just turn on the, the thinking of many, give them ideas, give them worthwhile goals and objectives. I pray that some moms and dads might make a list of some things that need to get done but do more than that, to think about the practical steps that will need to be taken in order to get those responsibilities fulfilled. 
I pray that you would protect some that really didn't need to have a lesson on laziness because their problem is that they overwork themselves and they're, they're working not depending upon you and help this message not to be used in an imbalanced way in their life. We're just so thankful that your spirit breathes through the word. In Jesus' name we pray. One of the most skillful spiritual fathers that has ever lived shared these words with his young mentor in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Endure hardness with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. The Apostle Paul challenged young Timothy to consider the career of a soldier, the career of a skilled athlete, and the career of a diligent farmer. Each of these professions scream out against laziness. They scream out against softness. They challenge us to the hardness of strong exercise and putting our bodies to the test. Our lesson on Sam Slugger that exposes the danger of allowing laziness to creep into our souls and to take over our energy is a very important lesson. I trust that as you go out today that the Lord God of heaven will protect you and that you will be free from the creeping thievery of personal laziness. I want to also say that to each of you that are facing legitimate physical illness, the scripture comes to you with sweet peace and consolation. It also challenges us with strong, healthy bodies to come alongside and help those that really are in need. But for those that have strength, for those that have no legitimate physical illness, the scripture comes to us and challenges us to get up in the morning, to work hard through the day, and then to enjoy the sweetness that comes from the reward for our diligent labor. And we can have the satisfaction of enjoying the prosperity that God has given to us. Beware of Sam the sluggard. He could turn your home into a thorn-infested, weed-infested graveyard.